welcome to the Stick to Wrestling Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is John McAdam. Uh, this is the Stick to Wrestling Podcast. Give us 60 minutes, and perhaps, indeed, we will give you a raw bone podcast. Sure. Sure, there are other good podcasts out there, but how many are wicked good? Let's ask this woman. This is not... <laughs> She seems convinced. Listen to Stick to Wrestling, folks. Follow me on Twitter. Just put in the name John McAdam and follow the guys who are hitting each other with chairs. And with that, I want to bring on my convivial co-host, Mr. Sean Goodwin. Sean, how you doing? I am great, and I am, I am just so excited about our Facebook page. We are approaching 800 loyal, knowledgeable, and uh, all-around nice fans. All together, just talking old school wrestling. If you missed it this week, and I don't, you know, I don't know what the hell you're doing, because you know, I know our guest this week's there. But if you missed it this week, did Bob Backlund keep his crown? Spoiler alert: He did. Who has 1,600 thumbs and currently has Jesse Ventura's audio for Portland 1978? That's right, we do. Well, Kevin Norcott has it too. He only has two thumbs, and we also have links to the most recent YouTube clips of the podcast, old school videos, clippings, pictures, whatever else you want. It's free and it is virus free. And we know it'll be there. We are recording this on Wednesday, March the 11th, so it'll be about a week old. So I'm just saying that in case if something crazy happens over the next seven days and we don't talk about it, that is why we're not talking about it. We'll start by talking about WrestleMania 2, but first I want to bring on our guest. He was a great guest last week. We're glad to have him back, uh, Mr. Brandon Rice. Brandon, thank you for coming on. Absolutely, guys. Glad to be back. All right, awesome. So, Sean, WrestleMania 2, we will start with that. We will see if we can get to WrestleMania 3. If we do, we do. If we don't, we don't. So, once again, uh, don't hold your breath. Uh, Once again, we have Vince coming off the great success of WrestleMania 1 that we talked about last week. And he decides to have an event, you know, because God forbid you ride the good fortune without trying to ruin it. He decides to have an event on Monday night in locations at New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. And William Perry was on hand. It was the celebrities, everything else. But it was the three-part aspect of the show. Did the three-part, having it in three cities, add anything to the show for the show to you, Brandon? I mean, did it help at all? Did it make it more of an event? Uh, no. And the funny thing is I, I was pretty easily impressed as a kid. I think the first time I actually watched WrestleMania 2, I was about eight years old. I didn't really understand why they did the three venues then. I mean, I guess I kind of get it now. Uh, I think ultimately, I think it took away from the event. I think he should have kind of ran it back at MSG like he had did the year before. I don't think you lose any value. I don't think it loses its, um, its magnitude, if you will, by holding it back, you know, back at Madison Square Garden again. But, you know, I see the vision. I saw what Vince was trying to do. Um, I think if he's nothing else, he's a bit of a visionary. So I, I saw what he was attempting to do. But, uh, you know, me personally, I think he should have stayed in New York. You could have still brought the NFL guys in. Uh, you know, the, New York's a huge football market. You still could have brought those guys in. You still would have been able to use T again. I think you still could have ran Hogan Bundy. Nothing would have had to change by keeping it uh, down to one venue. And, and if I'm going to keep it down to one venue... Uh, I would have eliminated that layoff the jump. Chicago, maybe, but why not just stay home? And, you know, I, I think they did it in the Nassau Coliseum. Go back to MSG, do it in MSG, run it right back, just like you did WrestleMania 1. I, I don't think you have a problem doing that. 
I think Vince wanted to add to the spectacle of it. Like, you know, he's having WrestleMania in the three biggest cities in the country. If you put your blinders on and remember that, you know, Uniondale isn't really part of New York City. I remember back in 2001, they had this thing, WrestleMania, I think it was called WrestleMania All Day Long. And they talked about the first 16 WrestleManias. It was like you could add it to the pay-per-view package, I think, for another $15. And Stephanie McMahon, who I know people generally dislike her anyway, but she, at the end of, like, they talked about WrestleMania 1 and what a big deal it was. And now now she's talking about WrestleMania 2. And she's like, they had it in three big, you know, the three major cities. We didn't think we could top what we did last year, but we did. And she said that about every single WrestleMania, somehow. Each one was better. Like, no, Stephanie, one was a lot bigger and better than two. And I don't know what it cost them in terms of dollars to, you know, have it in three locations. But it couldn't have been worth it. Everything that they did right in WrestleMania 1, they did wrong in WrestleMania 2. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, it's I can't blame the wrestlers for this. This is all him. This was this is such an epically stupid idea. I remember 11-year-old Sean sitting there on the couch going, gee, daddy, why is Vince so stupid? This is the <laughs> dumbest. Why is he doing it? And I'm starting to develop a theory because this is just so outrageously nonsensical to try this. Because not only do it, in doing the three arenas, you brought it up with the money. Notice the arenas. They were all half-assed arenas. They were at the Nassau Coliseum because they didn't have enough money to go get MSG because they had to spend it on someplace in L.A. The technology, you were asking for a disaster because the technology was still very young at this point. This is him basically, as you know, she kind of told you. He, he's focusing on the event. And I think me, part of, do you think part of this Sean could have had to do with his experience with the guys in the main event at uh, one with Hogan and Piper, where he decided to come in here and make an event that was bigger than the guys. Maybe, but you know what? One thing that has to be taken into consideration too is they didn't, but I think they figured if they did it this way, not only would you be able to say, aha, this WrestleMania is so big one. We, we can't just have it in one city. But they were also counting on three big gates. And I know Uniondale, I don't think it sold out, but it did fine. But I know Chicago and Los Angeles did not do well. Because they watered down their own product. And, and by the way, I, okay, I, I, this, this leads me into my next, our first question. So that kind of gives you the background. You had the football players in Chicago. The main event in New York was Piper and T in the, in the boxing match, right? Yeah. Okay, that was a classic. <laughs> Again, now you have two crap main events. Next to your really good main event. But anyway, so on to the questions. Ian Totten, you, you was there any- Could I just throw something? Sure. I, I don't mean to interrupt. Nope, go ahead. I'll take you guys back to 1986. This was the second pay-per-view, the wrestling pay-per-view, that had been available on my cable package. The first one was the Wrestling Classic. Even I did not order the Wrestling Classic. I had no interest in that whatsoever. It, it just didn't appeal to me. Piper versus Hogan, plus a tournament, which I didn't, I just didn't care about. Um, it's WrestleMania I, 4. No, but I'm saying, like, that was the first pay-per-view that was available. The second pay-per-view was WrestleMania 2, and from what I understand, it did not do particularly good numbers, and the industry, the wrestling industry, I guess in the pay-per-view industry, too, 
was asking themselves, was pro wrestling viable on pay-per-view? Like, are we wasting our time ordering these things? And, and, you know, it was a date where we all thought, like, concerts would do big money on pay-per-view. They never did. I mean, really, nothing but wrestling and boxing did particularly well on pay-per-view at this time. Even wrestling did. It wasn't a proven commodity. All the more reason. Because WrestleMania 1 was not a pay-per-view. WrestleMania 1 was a closed-circuit event. It was available on some pay-per-view outlets, but it wasn't available to me. Very limited. I I remember seeing any of that. But uh, nonetheless, it's it's a very – it was – so let's get the event right as opposed to being all cute. And why does it have to be three? Isn't two enough? I mean, this is just so – it's just like let's let's try to make this – a. Let's make this as hard as possible and make as give us give us as many opportunities to screw something up as possible. You know, Let's Lou see how just, good my guys can be. I mean, Lou just brought up maybe this was their answer to Starcade being oh. in Greensboro and Atlanta. I kind of doubt it. And if you you know what if you if you think about it, the, the thing, and here's another way to think about it: the WWS having their stuff in New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago. Whereas WCW is having it in Greensboro and Atlanta, which is, you know, so, so small time compared to those cities, the WWF cities. Yeah, uh, just the two. Of, if you did the two just in New York and L.A., that already blows you away. Yeah, I, I mean, you know what? I bet a lot of it had to do with having William the Refrigerator Perry in the Battle Royal. And for those who don't know, William Perry was an absolute sensation in 1985 as a part of the Chicago Bears Super Bowl team. I mean, he was someone who was a household name. So I, I'm assuming that once he yes. agreed to be part of the, you know, the Battle Royal, they said, okay, well, we'll, we'll have an event in Chicago. Sean, they have this amazing invention called an airplane. They could have st- – I know he's a big boy, but you could have stuffed him – big guy, but you could have stuffed him in the plane and just like uh, sent him over to L.A. or New York. Yeah, but, I mean, he played for the Bears, so they figure, okay, everyone will come out in Chicago to see this guy, and you have a second big house. That had to be the theory behind it. But here's something. Sean, William the Refrigerator Perry, I mean, obviously, he's an NFL defensive tackle. He's a tough guy. He's willing to be part of the Battle Royal. Like, don't you think maybe they possibly could have coaxed him into doing a tag match much like Mr. T did the year before? Or maybe that's part of his NFL contract that he can't do that. But if he can do the Battle Royal, why not a singles match or a tag match? Oh, well, it depends on who you are for the contract. I mean, certain guys get breaks on it. He may have been because this was still he was still in his rookie contract, I think, at this point. So he may have had a little less flexibility. That may have been plus by having the Battle Royal, you get to have all because he wasn't the only one. There was about 10 football players in there. Yes, he was. And there were some big stars. Bill Freilich was in there. Uh, now I don't remember anyone, but Perry and Freilich. Was but, it, uh, actually, wasn't uh, Big Michael in there? Uh, yes, he was, as a matter of fact. It was mostly defensive linemen, offensive linemen. They might Francis, have been a linebacker. Yeah, Russ Harvey Prince. Martin was in there. Yep, you're right. Harvey Martin was there. All right, so we've got big guys. We don't have like quarterbacks and wide receivers yeah. out there. Oh, that would have been fun. <laughs> put, put, put Vinny Testaverde in there. Vinny so, was still get, in Miami, but anyway. Well, he's a tip. Yeah, still. Okay. Question one for me and Totten. Uh, was there any way to make WrestleMania 2 good? What do you think, Brandon? I think we kind of covered that with the first piece when I think the first thing you do is you don't split it up into three arenas. 
I think you keep it at the home base at MSG. Uh, I think I'm probably in the minority where I actually like the WrestleMania 2 card. Obviously, I think there's a couple of matches you probably could have cut out. But I think the first thing you do to make the card better is you keep it in one place. And again, like I said, I don't know what the reason is that McMahon didn't even use MSG when he decided to split the event up. But put all your eggs in the basket. Go back to, like I said, go back to your home base and run the card, run your, your super card at MSG. So I think that's probably the overall, the resounding number one thing you could do to make it better. Like I said, I liked most of the matches. I thought the battle royal was cool. It was a little novelty thing. I thought it was cool to see, you know, the NFL guys in there mixed with, you know, a lot of the top stars from the WWF. Bruno San Martino came back and jumped in there. I thought all that was fine. Yeah, for me, it was just just the venue, the splitting it up. It was almost like three different events, it, it felt like. You know, you had three different, you know, commentating teams three different buildings it didn't feel like a wrestlemania it didn't feel like what we had watched just a year prior so that that would be the main thing that i would say changes is keep it to one venue all right i remember i was up in montreal for new year's 1985 and i bought a wrestling eye magazine and in wrestling eye it said oh yeah there's going to be wrestlemania 2 in april and i completely flipped out because i had no idea that they were going to do it again. It hadn't even occurred to me, which makes no sense. I mean, they were doing Starcade every year, so why not do WrestleMania every year? But I was, I was blown away. I remember coming home and telling all my friends that, you know, yeah, there's going to be a WrestleMania too. And to answer the question, Ian, I mean, is there a way to make WrestleMania too good? And yes, there were a million ways, and the WWF just went outside of that million. It seemed like they put the whole thing together at the last minute They had a Saturday night's main event in the beginning of March where they ran the two big angles where Piper whipped Mr. T with a belt and uh, King Kong Bundy attacked Hulk Hogan. And that was the entire WrestleMania 2 buildup. And Hogan had beaten Bundy in arenas like one and done against Bundy around the horn. So even as a 19-year-old kid that didn't get newsletters or anything like that, I knew that you had to protect King Kong Bundy coming into this. You had to spend a whole year making him look like an unbeatable heel, and they just didn't do it. To this day, I am taken aback by that. But you know, to answer Ian's question, yeah, they could have. If they had spent a year building up Bundy as this monster, it absolutely would have worked. I'm becoming more convinced they did not want to star in the role. That they wanted to do it. They wanted to make the event. By the way, that's what happened. That is how it is now. He just did it too soon. He hadn't established the event yet, but he was hoping to kind of lose the problem he was going to have with those major guys. How do you make it better? Do everything the opposite of what they did. From 1984 to 1987, there is no reason they should be rolling out a bad card, ever. They had talent everywhere. They had veteran talent. They had young talent. They had talent everywhere. The only time they were doing bad cards was when they screwed it up by doing dumb stuff like this. You know, I'm about to make Brandon Rice's day. The best thing they could have done with, you know, if you had to pick an opponent, I mean, they should have picked Randy Savage against Hulk Hogan. Oh, here's one suggestion. What about Terry Funk? You know, someone asked that. I, I don't think Terry Funk was the guy. Terry Funk is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. You know, four years later, he had a great series against 
Ric Flair, but I don't think Terry Funk in 1986 was a guy you rolled out there as a WrestleMania opponent in the WWF against Hulk Hogan. He did okay with Hogan. He did. I mean, they went and did Terry Funk versus Hulk Hogan in arenas. They did Terry and Dory against Hulk and JYD in Boston. I was, yep, I was there live for that one, yep. I just don't think he's the guy on that national scale. He's just not the WWF WrestleMania type heel that you want. Too small, too old. But I I think they're diluting their product, and this is a theme you're going to see again and again. They did it in the uh, King of the Ring, the first one that was at Foxborough. They did it in Wrestling Classic. And you make these matches so short that there's even if you have good guys in it, there's nothing they could do because you're giving them two and a half minutes, five minutes or something like that. So on to uh, Jamie Ward. Do you think Vince regrets the three-venue show and running a Monday night? I think I've answered this for myself sufficiently by now. Uh, Brandon, what do you think? Do you think he regrets it yet? I mean, obviously, I don't know the financials of it because that's probably what it's going to boil down to, whether he feels it was success or not. But if I'm him, I'm thinking again, as I've been kind of trying to hammer home, that no, I probably should have stayed at home, even though you know my reach, getting to the point where I could reach and grab LA whenever I wanted, as far as a, as a hot spot for us to go to, I'm going to keep it at home. I'm going to eliminate Uncle Elmer and Adrian Adonis fighting each other all the oh. way in Los Angeles. I'm going to not just throw Orndorff and Morocco in there to open the show and look like they just woke up and were ready to go right back to bed. Um, I'm going to do things like that. I'm going to cut those things out, and I'm going to keep it at MSG if I'm Vince. And then I could say to myself, yeah, I think I ran a decent car. But I would venture to say... Just knowing who Vince is, Vince probably loves the fact that he was able to run the three biggest cities in 1986 and be able to secure that and lock that down. But yeah, he probably thinks it was a good move. But if I was him, I, I would have had to, you know, switch some stuff up there. Brandon, you mentioned like Orndorff Morocco, and that was not a particularly good match. I remember watching the match live with only a couple of my friends because it was on a Monday night, which speaks to Jamie's question. I think the Monday night thing was a mistake. I mean, you you know, everyone's got to go to work the next day and you just can't stay up that late. But I remember remarking that Paul Orndorff versus Magnificent Morocco would have been a dream match in like 1980, 1981, 1982. And here they are in the opener just like four years later. And you know how you know this isn't a good idea or he knows it's not a good idea? Where was WrestleMania 3? Yeah, really. Four. Five. I, I think they learned their lesson. And, you know, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. He absolutely agrees this was, you know, this was a mistake. He stretched his roster out too thin. And you had a lot of main events. When you look at it as a whole, it's like, oh, okay, those three are, you know, the, the real main events, Hogan. Yeah, but not if you're going to New York. You know, and the reason it may have been on Monday was because maybe they couldn't get all three arenas on this on like a Sunday. That is a distinct possibility. I, I think too, uh, maybe I say this too often. Pay-per-view was in its absolute infancy in 1986. Like, it was still uncharted territory. Maybe Vince really thought that Monday would draw better than Sunday, and the only way to find out is try a Monday show. You may have been watching Monday Night Football too much and sitting there like, see, it works! (laughs) But I I bet it was he couldn't get the arenas. We've gotten to uh, Brian uh, Crawley's question. So, Brandon, you've been uh, kind of uh, around the edges on this one, so we'll just go right to it. Rebook the WrestleMania 2 card. <laughs> so, like I said, I I like a lot of what they did with the show as far as the matches go. 
I'm going to I'm going to cut uh, Morocco and and Orton. I'd probably throw them in the battle royal. I'm going to keep the battle royal because, like I said, I thought that was a really cool bit to have the NFL guys in there. Fralick was, you know, he at least looked believable. Perry eliminating stud. That was a huge thing for me to see. Um, and then, of course, Andre standing tall at the end. You, you have to keep Hogan in that main event. I think we can go back to if I'm going to rebook it based on the talent that they have there. I don't personally have a problem with Bundy and Hogan in the cage. Uh, I know, as Johnny Mack had alluded to, that Hogan had went around, you know, the horn kind of and, and been beating Bundy. But, you know, that's how they kind of rebuilt Bundy back up by breaking his ribs and that sort of thing. So I'm still fine with that. The tag title match, I think it's awesome. That was that's probably one of my favorite matches of all time. I'm going to get rid of Uncle Elmer and Adrian Adonis. We don't need that. I thought a really good tag match um, that I think might kind of have slipped under the cracks just because of the whole three venue thing, I enjoyed the dog Santana versus the Funk tag match. And I'm not a huge guy on, you know, on the Funk, Story Funk. I'm not big on them. I enjoyed that tag match. I'm keeping that. You know, another question that we might actually get to as well was Jake the Snake and George Wells. I don't know who I would put in place of George Wells, but I kind of look at that match almost. Uh, and Jake, by the way, made George Wells look pretty damn good in this. I kind of lend that to um, kind of like the, the Bundy thing at WrestleMania 1 was, pretty sure jake was kind of new to the territory at this time Brand so new. i thought it was a good i thought it was a great spot to put him in to go over this big guy george wells to you know hit him with the finisher the ddt then bring the snake out mcmahon sold the snake really well um in that moment so i probably have that maybe even open the show the boxing match with pipe and t clearly was an effort to ride t stardom a little bit more i think that's also probably why they had it in new york but it was just awful. So if there was any way to get that off the card, I probably would leave that off also. Then you kind of got to figure out where you're going to put Piper at. But yeah, for sure, I'm cutting out the Morocco, the Orndorff, cutting out Elmer and, and, and Adonis, keeping the Battle Royal tag title match. I probably would have Savage Steel, which was a pretty hot program at the time. I'm going to probably make that one of the more upper card matches as well. Um, and yeah, I'd probably go with that. So I cut out maybe about three or four matches, again, keeping it in one arena. Um, and I think just with your star power, we find somewhere to slide Piper in there. And, and I think you end up having a much better product. Interesting perspective. Thank you. I didn't like WrestleMania two very much. And for a guy who can say that I wouldn't have changed a lot, but here's what I would have done. Hogan versus Savage, okay? WWF champion versus the Intercontinental champion. And Savage, I believe, had not done a, a job, not, not even a, a screw job job. I would have tried to have done, I know this match would have been terrible, but it would have gotten a lot of eyeballs. King Kong Bundy and Big John Studd teaming up against Andre the Giant and William the Refrigerator Perry. The rest of it I would have left alone. Piper versus T, I would not have made a boxing match. But then again, they don't care about match quality, so maybe I would have left that alone. Battle Royal was fine. Uh, you're giving everyone a WrestleMania paycheck, so you're keeping smiles on everyone's faces. Bulldogs versus Valentine and Beefcake. The Bulldogs, you know, finally, after a long chase, won the WWF Tag Team titles uh, at this show. I think they should have won them months beforehand. I mean, by the time they got to WrestleMania two. They were already stale, but I remember when they won the title, Dynamite Kid got knocked out of the ring. It looked like he might have gotten hurt for real, and Davy Boy Smith was attending to him outside the ring, 
And I was furious that Captain Lou Albano and Ozzy Osbourne were in the middle of the ring celebrating with the titles while excuse me, Dynamite Kid is outside the ring. He's either hurt for real or he's not hurt for real. But either way, they should have been showing some kind of concern for him. And I was just like, just seeing those two clowns with the tag team titles pissed me off. Also, we talked about the uh, the Terry Funk and Terry Funk and Dory Funk Jr. versus JYD and Tito Santana match. If you guys remember, Terry was acting like he had blown out his knee during that match, and that was his final WWF appearance until he came back in the late 90s during a Chainsaw Charlie thing. Terry has said that he just wanted to go home. He acted like he messed up his knee, and just that was it. He went home. He got his WrestleMania paycheck. But supposedly, there was talk of doing, like, the next thing they were going to do was Terry and Dory Funk Jr. in a feud against the British Bulldogs, which I would have loved seeing. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. Um, I have, let's see, I have, uh, I kept it in the two locations, and I'm only using people who are actually on hand, okay? Just to show that you can actually make a good card out of this without, you know, going out of their way to screw it up like they did. Uh, so I'll do Chicago MSG. Chicago start off with uh, Morocco Orndorff. Yes, I know it turned out bad, but I still want to use them and see what I get out of them. In retrospect, yeah, it turned out bad. Two, I would have Robertson Santana. No, uh, it's, I think it's a little early to put Robertson in a match like that. Jake had just gotten there, I want to say, like six weeks earlier. No, I mean, it's... I, I don't think you have to have a clean job. It could kind of start something, just kind of show his credit. I'd like to see him in there about someone a little more, you know, established, though. Jake, if you're going to put it, I, if you're not going to do that, then get him out of the WrestleMania altogether. You know what? I mean, someone asked a question about this. To me, that match against George Wells was like introducing Jake Roberts. You know, he had only been on TV, like maybe not even a month before WrestleMania. So I, I don't think he was a bad choice. Just, you know, I'm not going to Jake. I'm not killing the uh, WrestleMania. See, this is my problem, though. I'm not killing the WrestleMania match. This is something you do on your regular TV show. Okay, this isn't something you do here. That's why I'd want to see him in there with somebody legitimate. Then I also say I have the Bulldogs and Heart Foundation, Piper Steamboat, and I'll have the Battle Royal. Then at MSG, Hernandez and Uncle Elmer, because I want to get over Hernandez. It's going to be look more impressive having you know going over that big guy. Uh, Haas and Funk versus JYD and Corporal Kirshner, because JYD is over enough here where you could put anybody there. Bundy and Andre, I know, John, they've done it a million times, but you want to use Andre and it's another big guy you can put him in with. And then Hogan versus Savage in the cage. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you would have had to do something to set off a feud between Hogan and Savage, but I mean, obviously that's easy enough to do. They'd already been working Boston Garden by this point. Yes. In a title uh, versus title matches, so it wouldn't have taken much. No, you're, you're correct. And, and yeah. I, I just think Savage, it's an obvious thing to say. I mean, Savage had a talent that far outshone King Kong Bundy's, and I get Bundy's appeal, but Savage still is way better, more charismatic, smaller, but still. people. And this isn't, a, this isn't a retrospect thing either. Don't worry, Brady. We'll, we'll, I, said, I feel, Brad, it's like the band's <laughs> loosening up. You know, getting ready for this one. So I'm just getting all out of the way so just to let the, the path free for you uh, and the great man. Yeah. He is, at this point, it's not retrospect. He was crazy over at this point. Yes. He was completely, he was one, of, outside of Hogan, he was the most over guy in the whole organization at this point. I think this comes down to the fact that Vince was scared to use 
he actually was probably more over here than when he won. Maybe, and I agree with you that Savage was the most over guy except for Hogan, and yes, I have not forgotten about Roddy Piper. Roddy had been in the WWF for over two years in the same role, and he was getting stale. So I'm, yeah, I, I think this is this would have been a good spot to put him in. It, it always drew wherever I saw that match because this is not the first time you yeah. knew they were going to have a good match, but it hadn't been on TV yet. So yeah, that's. Uh, I just think it comes down to Vince being afraid of smaller guys. Uh, yeah, in the main events, you didn't see it back then. Uh, let me see. Uh, Savage was not. I mean, he was he was at least as big as Schultz. He was okay. at least as big as. A mass superstar. I'm just like going over my Rolodex of Hogan opponents. Uh, I what was the delay? Huh? Then what was the delay? I I, th- I did poor judgment. <laughs> oh, well, That's pretty much my theory. Because he should have been in the championship chase right here, without any question. He uh, you easily could have put him in the two main event. I'm in your corner 100. He was already the Intercontinental Champion. He was the most over guy. This was the spot for him. And now for your main event of the evening, Brandon Rice. <laughs> as far as you guys go with Savage, I, I'm not going to say no, of course. I would have loved to uh, have you know seen him uh, in that spot. I think one thing, you take away an additional title match when you put him in the match against Hogan. You know, nobody, they're not going to do a title versus title. Hogan's not going to hold the, the IC belt. So I think you take that away. And then kind of leading to what you just said, Sean, I think, I think Savage's size for WrestleMania, I think that may have bothered Vince. And then also keeping in mind with, you know, we're talking about how over Savage was at the time, maybe Vince didn't want it to be so clear and apparent that Savage might have been just as over as his big babyface champion. Maybe he was a little bit afraid of that as well. Could have been afraid of that, of Savage being more over in the match than Hogan. And I know that just was, you know, sort of taboo. Maybe he didn't want to rest Savage to that stage just yet but ultimately no like i said i i was fine with it being bundy just kind of sticking with the theme of hogan taking down you know all these monsters you know and i mean he fought andre two years in a row at wrestlemania so uh obviously vince wanted him to fight his biggest guy whenever he could but yeah i i've had a problem with putting savage in there we know it would have been you know a good match he would have brought you know as much out of hogan as he could have yeah, I guess I'm kind of glad that they didn't do that because he ended up being able to shine at WrestleMania 3 and 4 and then obviously get the big match with Hogan at 5. So you could have put it there, but like I said, I was fine with Bundy being in the cage, you know, add Bobby Heenan into the mix. Um, I was fine with that. You know, Brandon, you brought up a really good point that maybe Savage was too hot, and this is pure speculation on my part, okay? But if Vince McMahon, you know, I'm sure he, I know Vince sat down with Hogan and when they went over things. And if Hogan thought the match with Savage might damage him, that, you know, it might have people in the audience cheering for Randy Savage, he's, he's going to say, no, brother, we're doing King Kong Monday. And Vince would have gone along with it. That's what I was thinking. When I, second Brandon mentioned, was there a problem with the popularity? I was thinking the number that got done to Steamboat. Or Duggan. Or Duggan. Yeah, another one. So there's certainly a track record for this happening. I think we already just kind of discussed this. Would Funk versus Hogan have been a better main event than Bunny versus Hogan? We already kind of discussed that. And Dan Potts, who else was in the running to face Hogan for WrestleMania 2? John, is there, were there any other options? The only real other option was Savage. Maybe Piper, but he was getting stale, as I mentioned. 
they could have spent a year building someone up for this role, but they just chose not to. I mean, if you look at the roster, I mean, those are the only three guys. And we're about to get asked another question, which I'll lead into. Uh, It was by Brian Crawley. Any truth to the Nikita rumor? No idea, but I mean, coming off the Rocky movie and given the Cold War tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union, if there was any way they could have gotten Ivan and Nikita Koloff from Crockett, and by the way, you do need Ivan as part of this package, you have to do it. I don't know what their contract situation was, if there's just no way Nikita could leave, but Nikita would have been the perfect guy given the environment in this country in April 1986. Uh, any thoughts, Brandon? Yeah, I think Nikita would, could work in that spot as well. I think the size discrepancy would be uh, a little understated here because, you know, when you put Nikita in the ring with the Road Warriors, he didn't look nearly as big as he did up against, you know, little little guys like Ricky Morton. Uh, but I think it would have worked just off the sheer American-Russian situation, you know, the tensions there. You could have had him come out and destroy Hogan on a Saturday night's main event, him and Uncle Ivan, lay the Russian flag over the top of Hogan, get everybody real fired up, you know, whole America versus USA versus Russia type deal. Uh, I think that could have worked. I probably would have preferred that even over the Savage option. I just don't know how you, you know, again, the contractual side of it, why they couldn't have gotten Nikita there, but I think that would have worked just fine as well. And in fact, if I couldn't do Bundy, Nikita would be my second choice. Okay. All right, Sean, thoughts from you? Yeah, I think it was a contractual issue. The only issue is the size. You absolutely have to have Ivan in because this is the one case where the history works in your favor. Vince Mm -hmm. doesn't have to make up somebody. They actually always brought up the old champions back then, Morales or Bruno, whoever like that. So they could have brought that up a million times. I think it would have worked well. The only concern was the size. Again, if you put him like like it would happen with Road Warriors and the Skyscrapers, when you saw them together, that thing that made the Road Warriors, the Road Warriors got taken away. And I'm have a concern about that because this isn't Hogan from WCW. This is Hogan 70 pounds bigger than that guy. I mean, a couple of things. Nikita, he wasn't just a big guy. I mean, he was big. You're right. Once you put him against the Road Warriors, that goes away. But he had that look. He had that like crazy, mean, savage, bald-headed dude thing going on. And I agree with you that Ivan Koloff needed to be part of that because you're right. He's a former WWF heavyweight champion, and this is his nephew you're bringing in. I mean, it would just added so much to the storyline. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we actually look at us. We're gonna actually make it to WrestleMania three. The Big Daddy. Uh, I want to make a quick point on WrestleMania 2. You know, now that we're talking about 3, 2 was such an outlier compared to 1 and 3. WrestleMania 1 was an absolute spectacular once-in-a-lifetime event. WrestleMania 3, same thing. WrestleMania 2 was like, I was a glorified house show. I don't know what to say. 1 and 3 were done in a similar method, and 2 was done completely opposite of 1 and 3. Yeah. And that's why it was a disaster. Well, it wasn't a disaster, but it was. I know what you're saying. Was, yeah, it wasn't good. So WrestleMania three. And uh, as uh, John mentioned in, uh, before the show, Meltzer thought the Silver Dome would look empty, predicting uh, 40,000 in attendance. Yeah. And Dave was big enough to, you know, come back a couple of weeks after that and say, hey, I was wrong. You know, it's, it's sold out. 
Uh, and it, it did sell out. If you think about, you know, how many people you have to cram into the, the silver dome in Detroit, you know, no matter what the number was, I mean, it, it's head spinning, but you had the ultimate main event in Andre, the giant versus Hulk Hogan. They went back to the formula that worked in WrestleMania one and it worked again. And then they would continue using that formula for the next decade, at least until they basically didn't have the kind of the, the star power on top anymore. No, that's definitely true. I mean, Hogan was their, you know, he wasn't their number one attraction. He was their king. He was their top guy. I mean, looking back, that's just the way it was. Everyone was a distant number two to Hulk Hogan. And when Hulk Hogan's popularity went down, so did the WWFs. I have a perfect question for Brandon Rice here. This was the second point that John wanted to ask. I, I, go, I go to the Randy Savage connoisseur. Was Savage versus Steamboat the best WrestleMania match ever? And was Savage versus Steamboat the best Savage match ever? So I will say yes to it being the greatest WrestleMania match ever to me. Uh, I know a lot of people are slightly against it because they thought that it should have been a little more violent given what Savage had done to Steamboat, you know, in the buildup, crushing his throat and that whole bit. But it was, it was easily the best match of the night. It was easily the best WrestleMania match up to that point uh, without question. I think I read somewhere one time Michael Hayes or someone uh, had said that they were actually watching. They either watched or they had heard about the match. Pretty sure he said they watched and they were just in awe at the performance that Steamboat and Savage had put on. And the first time I saw WrestleMania 3, I believe I was about 10 and I was just mesmerized at the way these two put on a show and just stole the whole show because the event was built up to be the big Hogan, Andre, Andre's undefeated, yada, yada, yada. And they just came in and stole the show. And since then, I don't know off the top of my head that I've seen a match that has captivated me as much as that one. Uh, I probably watched it. I've probably seen WrestleMania 3 50 times. I've probably watched that specific match 75 times. Every now and then, my wife will feel sorry for me and let me put on some wrestling for her to watch. And I showed her that match, and she even thought it was awesome. As far as whether that's the best Savage match of all time, uh, I'd probably put it in the top five. I'd actually probably put him and Hogan at WrestleMania 5 in there, him and Warrior at WrestleMania 7. Uh, he was one of those guys that really, you know, when he was on the big stage, you know, he kicked ass. So I'd have to think about uh, the best Savage match ever. But for me, yeah, that was definitely the best WrestleMania match uh, for me. Definitely a personal favorite. I would say that this is Randy Savage's best match ever, and it was the best WrestleMania match ever, and that is putting it ahead of the outstanding Ric Flair versus Randy Savage match from WrestleMania 8. I mean, I think it was it's, it's in the match of the decade conversation. I mean, WrestleMania 3, my apartment was filled. I mean, it was literally standing room only, and there are people, super casual wrestling fans, who were blown away by this match, people who had no idea what work rate or anything like that even was. The third rail of wrestling matches, because you're going to lose either way. You're gonna, you, you can sit there and say that it was you know, not the greatest match of all time, to which you'll have the response of, how can you hate that match? No, 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 no. I didn't say that. I just said it wasn't the greatest. I, I think part of the reason why it gets the reputation does, it was a great match, but also... During this stretch, for all the success they've had, there really wasn't a lot of great wrestling from the Hogan era. That match stood out 
And I think the Hayes incident was just that Brandon brought up was just that was that the guys down south thought that they always had the that we were just better in ring. We were better. And then Hayes said, we don't even have that anymore. You know, and I want to throw this into when Ric Flair's book came out uh, in 2003, this became just an insane Internet meme. Ric Flair criticized this match because they didn't call it on the fly. Okay. And people like, oh, yeah, they didn't call it, you know, just parroted him. Oh, they didn't call it on the fly. That's not good. Who cares? It's like eating a meal and saying, well, it wasn't prepared a certain way, but the meal is fantastic. It was just the dumbest shit. I think part of the issue with these two is their background of so many great matches. I mean, I I could have I seen a better Savage match? Yeah. Tito Santana in the Boston Garden about four times. They were great together. It's uh, I just think there were other matches that were better. But for this era, I would say for WrestleMania one through ten, yeah, I would say up until the Hard Cage match. I I still think it's the best, the best Savage, best WrestleMania. I also that said it's a great match. Yeah, I I thought it was the best ever. I mean, you can disagree. They did a really nice touch coming into WrestleMania three, where they had a I think it was a Piper's Pit. Yeah, it had to be where they wheeled out a new giant title belt that would fit Andre the Giant. I mean, a lot of people fell for that red herring, and it was a brilliant piece of booking. Brandon, do you remember that? I do. I have seen that. And like you said, it was, it was, it was brilliant in the sense that I think at that time it probably put, you know, maybe people who weren't smart to the business or reading, you know, any, any stuff behind the scenes, I think it probably casted a little bit of doubt. Like, why are they making this giant belt for this guy and Hogan's going to beat him? Or is he going to beat him? So I think that just added up that match and the event itself was just booked perfectly to be the buildup for every single match. It was appropriate. Nothing there seemed like filler. Maybe Coco Beware and Butchery maybe. But other than that, every match seemed to have some meaning to it. And when you bring out this giant belt that you're making for this guy, it had to have tapped some doubt in people's mind that Hogan, can he actually beat this guy? And if he doesn't, here we go with this giant man, this giant championship belt. So I, I thought that was a really nice touch. Remember Heenan, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, actually bringing it on the primetime set. Yep. And there's just this huge title belt for this huge guy. And I don't think we had really seen Andre up until that, as far as like on TV, he really had no no real presence until he started doing the, the Piper's Pit segment. He was just kind of around. And then you have this giant championship belt here uh, and this, this massive guy that's going to wear it after he beats Hogan. It was little things like that that they incorporated, I think, for many of the matches that night. And I think that helped push that match as well as the rest of the card, just those little things they did. No, I agree with you. As a matter of fact, you brought something up that, to me, this was the second show of all time where, and I mean that I've ever seen, where none of the matches felt like a throwaway match. Even the first two WrestleManias, we talked about this, they were throwaway matches. This had absolutely none. The first one was the Meadowlands show in 1984 that I went to that had Jake Roberts and Ronnie Garvin, who had been feuding in the opener. And this one, you know, I thought they did an angle for Coca Ware and Butch Reed and Coca was still over at this time. So this was new. Like, you know, the opener on this one was Morocco and Orton against Zank and Martel 
I mean, Orton was a big star, part of the Roddy Piper package. Morocco, two-time former Intercontinental title. Martel, a year ago, was the AWA champion. And Zank, he felt like a rising star at the time. So that's a, a really good opener. Well, this kind of leads into the first question because this, I, and I agree with you. You should. This goes. This is what I was saying with Jake Roberts and with George Wells. That you should not have those matches there. You should have five or six guys who weren't on the card, and that kind of shows you how special it is by saying, "Geez, even such and such couldn't make the card. He was a big deal." Yeah. Uh, the first question by Stephen is: Has anyone talked to Kamala, Orndorff, Sika, or Demolition as to why they weren't on the on the card? I'll real quick, John, just to get Orndorff out of the way. I heard the story that he was being held back in case it was an issue with Andre. Okay, l- a long time ago, I heard Orndorff was the backup for Andre in case Andre could not make the show. They had the Saturday night main event angle where a cage match basically ended in a, what looked like a tie. And if Andre couldn't make it, they were going to have Hogan versus Orndorff for the held up WWF championship. I also heard that Orndorff got a paycheck for this WrestleMania, even though he didn't work it. Orndorff did a shoot interview where he said that he didn't get paid, and he said a couple of other things that didn't really add up, so who knows? But Orndorff has denied this, but it's something I've heard over the years. Some people are like, well, Paul Orndorff would know, wouldn't he? But in this shoot interview, he said a couple of things that kind of made me raise my eyebrows, so I don't know, but to answer Steven's question, Orndorff is the only guy who was conspicuous by his absence. I did say to myself, okay, where's Paul Orndorff on this show? I didn't say it about Kamala. I definitely didn't say it about Sika. Demolition had just been put together right before it, so I wasn't questioning where Demolition was. The demo showed up in January, but I don't think Darso showed up till March. I think you're right. So uh, that would have been a uh, tight squeeze. Is there anybody of that group that you were missing, Brandon, that you were watching the show like, ah, oh, geez, where's who, so-and-so? No, I, uh, kind of just what John said with the Orndorff thing. It was like, ah, you know, no, where is he? But he wasn't really outside of the Hogan thing. He wasn't really in any programs. So are you just going to throw him in as a filler match at that point? Probably not. As far as, obviously, I don't have any insider information. I just don't think that there's any way that Andre the Giant doesn't wrestle that day. So to have, you know, Orndorff as a backup, I just don't see that. I think even if Andre can barely walk, I mean, shit, they used the little ring cart to get him to and from the ring. Even if Andre has to get in the ring, do the little fake pin on Hogan, Hogan hulks up, slams him, leg drops him in three minutes. I think he still does it. So, yeah, I don't think that Orndorff stuff holds too much weight for me. But, I mean, yeah, where would you even, where would you have put him otherwise if he wasn't, quote unquote, the backup? What would you have done with him? He didn't have anything going on at the time. So you'd end up having, you know, kind of one of Sean's pet peeves. You end up having a Paul Orndorff, George Wells type match. And then that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb because pretty much every match there that night had some type of meaning to it. You know, Brendan, the reason I believe the story, I believe it for two reasons. Number one, Again, Paul Orndorff was conspicuous by his absence not being on the card. And number two, that Saturday night main event angle where they did the angle where, you know, their feet touched the ground at the same time. To me, that's why I believe it. If someone else doesn't believe it, that's fine. I mean, uh, it's, it makes sense because it wasn't too long ago when they had the situation with Rick and Harley Race at Starcade, where, you know, and I, I don't think it was as 
you know, anywhere near as dramatic as it's portrayed. But still, stuff like that can happen. And if you're into WrestleMania, you can't have that happen. No, I, I agree. And Orndorff, the story was like, you know, if it had been determined, like after they aired the Piper's Pit in like, you know, February, March, that Andre couldn't do it. Believe me, the day of the show, like there was no way Andre wasn't going yeah. out there. The week well, of the show, I mean, month of the show. No. So, uh, okay, from Lawrence Miles, would Stud versus Bundy have happened if Stud hadn't walked out? John, I'm drawing a blank on the background of Stud walking out. Okay, I don't think he walked out. I think he just told Vince that he wanted to go home. If I recall correctly, he didn't really leave. I don't know if he like didn't leave with a notice or whatever, but I remember he originally was going to be part of this WrestleMania, and he backed out. Here's what I heard a long time ago about this WrestleMania. It was going to be Hulk Hogan against Andre the Giant from the jump. They had planned Andre's turn like right after WrestleMania 2. But some of the originally planned matches that I had heard they were going in that didn't happen, King Kong Bundy as a babyface against Big John Studd, I think Bundy would have made a fun character babyface. The other match that was originally scheduled, at least I heard this, they were going to do Bruno Sammartino against Jesse the Body Ventura. And if you remember, they were the superstars team and they were constantly bickering on the air. So you've already got that ready-made angle for Bruno and Jesse. And for whatever reason, it just fell through. They were originally not going to do Randy Savage against Ricky Steamboat. They were going to do Randy Savage against superstar Billy Graham. And they had planned this since like summer of 86. They brought Graham back. Vince saw a million dollars in this guy, former WWF champion. He was big again. He was colorful. He was a huge name. And obviously his health just cratered from under him. He had to have, I think, two hip surgeries between the time they had planned it and the time that they had done it. But I mean, those were, from what I understand, originally supposed to be WrestleMania three matches. Well, thank God that that did not happen. (laughs) (laughs) Was Ventura going to get medical clearance? Because they still had to deal with the athletic boards at this point. Does Detroit have an an athletic? I mean, Detroit, Michigan, I don't know if they had a state athletic commission at that point. But, I mean, most state athletic commissions, and I, I don't like them in principle, But most of them, they keep their nose out of the wrestling business. They do what they need to do as far as making sure the gate is collected, and that's it. They didn't get fancy like New Jersey did with blood pressure monitoring or like Oregon did with You Can't Blade. Most of them kind of more or less stayed out of the way. Well, that's, I mean, I understand why they would, you know, how some would do that. But you're talking, this guy could possibly have dropped dead in the ring. Um... I mean, you know what? I think worst case scenario, the state athletic commissioner would have said, you know, Jesse, are you good to go? Oh, yeah, brother, look at me, you know, and that would have been the end of it. <sighs> Just well, yeah, what am I forgetting about that? I, I there's a question here. Did Joey Morella actually make the three count on Hogan? My answer was I'd fallen asleep by then. What happened here, John? Uh, they did an angle where it looked like early in the match, Andre had actually pinned Hogan. Hogan kicked out, but Marilla actually counted to three. If you look at it, he never really counted to three. So it's just one of those old wives' tales. Yeah, it was was something that they pushed. 
on TV, Bobby yeah. Heenan would, would get on primetime wrestling every week and start screaming about how, how Andre actually pinned him. Brandon, you remember it. Yeah, I remember it vividly. Hogan tries to go for the slam really early in the match. Andre falls down on top of him. And Morella, yeah, it was the two and maybe like one eighth count. And then Morella holds up the two and three quarter inches with his hands. And Jesse kind of sells it on the other end. Yes. And then, yeah, they continue to push that he actually should be the heavyweight champion. Pretty sure they pushed that well into like Survivor Series of that same year when Andre came back that he actually should be the world champion. So, yeah, they kind of made a little bit of a big deal about that. Keenan was still pushing it coming into WrestleMania four with the idea that Andre did in fact pin Hogan at WrestleMania three. But, you know, if you look at the tape, which of course I did as a kid, you know, that was not the case. Is this a good match or not? You've heard both. You've heard people say it's terrible. You've heard people say, well, it was, you know, landmark. It was important. Is this a good match or not, Brandon? I mean, well, what did you expect out of Andre the Giant in 1987? (laughs) Yeah. You couldn't have expected too much from him. The overwhelming majority of people sitting at home watching this event have no idea that Andre is having physical problems. But then again, that person is happy with whatever you put in front of him. This is why the steamboat match was so out of the ordinary, because the WWF fans, since at least Backlund had been gone, had been dumbed down with the horrible wrestling for so long that a match like, we're used to stuff like Andre and Hogan. You know what? Here's the thing. I think if you are watching wrestling for the quality of the matches, you know, like a lot of guys who grew up watching the territories, or maybe if you get a newsletter, you think that match stinks. And I think if you were to turn it on today and watch it for entertainment value, like you want to see guys moving around, of course, you're not going to like it. But if you're a WWF fan, you got what you paid for when you watched that match. It's what the WWF fans wanted to see. And the WWF gave them what they wanted. Yeah, I think as fans, you went into that. You wanted to see three things. You wanted to see Hogan slam Andre. You got it. You wanted to see Andre take the leg drop. You got it. You wanted to see Andre's quote-unquote undefeated streak end cleanly in the middle of the ring, and you got it. So I think that the match, the quality of the match, whatever happened in between those three bullet points was kind of like moot, essentially, because you got what you wanted. I think Brandon brings up a good point about that the expectations that were set were set by them. It was, is Andre going to get slammed? These were all expectations that they had set up to proper, really good booking leading up to the event. And by them managing those expectations, they turned it into a good match. Let me wrap up the show by saying two quick things. I think the main events in WrestleMania 1 and WrestleMania 3 were very similar Like, if you're a strong technical wrestling fan, okay, maybe you didn't like it, but it gave the people what they wanted. WWF basically gave them what they were promised, okay? The other thing I wanted to bring up, and I forgot to bring this up when we were talking about WrestleMania 2, they had guest announcers for the show. They had, what's the name of that? The woman's name from WrestleMania, the one who did New York at WrestleMania 2. What's her name? Susan St. James. Thank you. That is Dick Marriage Ebersole. to Dick Ebersole. Yeah. And she just was, was acting stupid, playing along a little bit too much. That was a favor. It, uh, yeah. Then you had uh, Joe Theismann's wife. What's her name? In Chicago. Billy, remember the other one, Joe, Joe Theismann's wife. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
but she was doing the commentary for WrestleMania 2 in Chicago, and she kind of acted like she was above it all. She was laughing at it. And then we get to Los Angeles, and it's Jesse Ventura and Elvira, the Mistress of the Dark, and she was great. I absolutely loved her. She just kicked back, had a good time, and enjoyed herself. So that, I just wanted to share that last infor- oh, information. Well, Lou jumped in that the woman you're talking about is Kathy Lee Crosby. Thank you. I knew it was Kathy's, and he says it was Theismann's girlfriend. I think she eventually became Theismann's wife, but I don't know. But anyway, Brandon, thank you very much for coming on again this week. You are an outstanding guest. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I always feel honored when I get the message asking me to come on, so thank you. Hey, you're very welcome. Sean, thank you for everything you do, you convivial co-host you. I want to thank our producer, Lou Kippelman, who does a lot to make these shows sound good. And this has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We'll see you next week.